Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crap all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Hello, podcast land, and welcome to episode 20, 20 of the Magnificently Huge podcast. My name is Brian, and today, Chris, Eric, and myself, we're going back to 1984. 1984 was the year the Macintosh came out. We were just getting done with Star Wars with Return of the Jedi and getting ready for Back to the Future the following year. But, oh my gosh, there was so much awesome stuff going on in 1984. Now, I know I'm biased. Like, from the point you hit puberty to about your mid-20s, your brain is just growing really fast. And I think that's why the music of your teen years and the culture of your teen years sticks with you for your entire life. It's physically imprinted as, as those neural pathways develop. But honestly, we were so lucky to be born when we were. We got to have childhood in the 70s, and we got to be teenagers in the 80s, and there was no online digital permanent record of all the stupid crap we did. And then we still got to play with computers, and then we got to do all the stuff we get to do modern times. The 80s were a fantastic time to grow up, and 1984 was an amazing year for movies. We're going to talk about some of those in this episode. Uh, Before we get into that, just a reminder... Uh, first of all, please just share our podcast on your social feeds. If you've got a social feed, you can get to more people than we can, and we could, you know, use the exposure. So do us a favor, would you? Otherwise, if you want to reach out to us, uh, you can always find us at Twitter at MagHuge, Facebook.com slash MagnificentlyHuge. You can email MagnificentlyHuge at gmail.com. I think that they've got an Instagram and a Tumblr up now, the other guys. So there's no excuse. You can find us. Just search for Magnificently Huge. All right, strap in, everybody. Time to head back to 1984. Hey, we're back. Yay. We're front. We're side. We are are behind schedule is what we are. Oh, that's behind the scenes stuff. Shh. Shh, don't tell. Don't ruin the magic. (laughs) Yeah. Because people don't realize that we're all in three different places at once. Yeah, so, okay, introductions. I'm Brian. I'm Eric. I'm Chris. Yeah, we're in three different cities, except that we were in two different cities because uh, both Eric and I were in Bellevue, Washington this weekend. Were you hanging out? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, it was just ironically, we, we both happened to be in the same place at the same time. And yet, and we did not do the podcast. And yet... But maybe this will be a benefit to our listeners because we'll be more current slightly. I mean, usually when we're recording this like a week ahead of time and we're like, hey, there's a hurricane, except it was like a week ago, depending on yeah. when you were listening. So, so to give yeah. you a little bit of context on the date, um, uh, uh, Rex Tillerson called Donald Trump a moron. <laughs> i love that and then the press asked him so uh do you have any comment on whether or not that's true uh and i'm not i'm not saying anything either way because he did well this is also the day that uh the equifax hearings were going on and somebody had brass balls 
and dressed up like the Monopoly guy in the background. So they're basically photobombing all of the Equifax uh, <laughs> testimony. It was That's awesome. That's great. So That's speaking good. of current events, we should do our segment where uh, we're talking about things we've been doing the last week. It's the fresh shit. This shit is fresh. All right, so Eric, what do you got? Uh, I was in Seattle and I saw a play called Something Rotten. It's a musical. And I can't say too much about it because, of course, Brian is going to see it pretty soon. Oh, thank you for not spoiling. Yeah. Uh, Was it enjoyable? I don't want to say anything until you've seen it. Okay, so that's Eric's fresh shit. He saw a thing. <laughs> Let me just say, I was told that it was like genius hilarious. And I was told that by my wife who knew nothing about the play when she went in. So she knew nothing and she loved it. Uh, I knew something. I didn't love it as much as her. And it just sort of goes back to the whole idea of if the preview's really good, the movie sucks and vice versa. Do you suppose the fact that you were like wicked sick colored your experience? I think so. I think the fact that I was not feeling well and I had just done what was like the worst driving trip of all time from Portland to Seattle. And uh, he can't handle it ooh. when he does copious amounts of blow right before a play. Nah. It's just not, it's not pretty. You try sitting still that long. <laughs> uh, okay. okay and everybody like nudging you with their elbows of superiority just because you're grinding your teeth so loud <laughs> and you keep <laughs> and keep doing that yeah. So, yeah 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 oh one of the shows we went to there was a woman sitting next to us and she brought a bag of burger king and some doritos and like oh, in the middle of the show she's bitch. opening up the bag with these stinky <laughs> onion rings and these Really smelly Doritos. That's not acceptable on a cross-country flight, much less a play. Yeah, I mean, what the fuck, you goddamn heathens. So that's it for that's. So any other things, Eric? You know, no. You saw I, something rotten. Oh, Gotham is back. I'm I'm watching Gotham, and I finished season two of Rick and Morty. I can't wait to find season three if it's already <laughs> been done. Season three is. They're like really trying to see how far they can push the audience. Here's the great thing about season three, Eric is that the the first half of the season, uh, all of the episodes, they've managed to make Rick the villain, like <laughs> implicitly the villain, uh, and they, they kind of play around with that a bit. It's pretty fun. But when cool. you get to Pickle, Pickle Rick is episode three. Uh, See, I've seen that one because okay. it's on YouTube, and really anyone that's on YouTube, I I want to check out. I've, okay. I've heard that there's one in there that is even more mind-bending that I really want to see. Uh, but. They're all pretty good, but the the one they did where they go to Morty Town, where it's basically all of the Rick and Mortys. <laughs> yeah, uh, Eric will like that it's, one. It's, it's, the, it's the most depressing motherfucking thing ever, but it's so good. <laughs> so, enjoy. So, was there a standout episode from season two, Eric? I loved the one where they... They cross paths with all the other Ricks and Mortys, and there's the one with the eye patch that's controlling the robot Rick. Yeah, evil, evil Morty. I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's good stuff. Yeah, but when you do see that play, we'll tear into it. Well, thank you. I mean, it won't be long. I think I'm seeing it like next month. Uh, I think it's the exact same cast. Cool. 
and I'll I'll read the reviews online so that I know what's going on. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are singing and dancing. I think that's what the play is supposed to be. <laughs> oh God, that sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have it, it, it's killing me because I have a very definite opinion, but. Again, I don't want to say until you've seen it, so uh, so you can at least agree with me. How is it possible that Eric has a definite opinion about anything? I have never encountered that in my life. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, write it down so you don't forget. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, then, uh, Chris, what do you got? Uh, let's see. I watched two, well, one and a half movies. I don't recommend either. I sat through X-Men Apocalypse, finally. No, I'm <laughs> sorry. That. that sucked ass. It yeah. was so boring. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, don't ever watch that, anybody, ever. Uh, it was big and bloated and dumb. And then I and tried... And the bad to... guy's plot made no sense. None and... of it made sense. It was just a ball, a bunch of, uh, hey, let's just give fan service to every jackass out there that likes the X-Men. Was it even no, fan service? no purpose. Like, I'm not even sure the fans would have liked this movie. It just sucked. It didn't do very well. Who's still a fan, though? I mean, they're the fans of, like, the early movies, but they've sold that out. There's the fans of the comic books who've <laughs> well, this, long this, since seen through this shit. Well, I mean, in this one, they have a throwaway line where they're talking about, I think they show because it takes place in uh, 83, I guess it is. Yeah. yeah it takes place yeah. in 83, and so they, they ditch school because it's the... It's the younger versions of the X-Men that you'll know from the first Brian Singer movie, which is like Cyclops and Jean Grey and all that. Right. They come out of uh, Return of the Jedi, and then they make some snide comments, and then Jean Grey just says something like, well, the third one's always the worst one. I'm just saying, Empire is still the best. It's the most complex, the most sophisticated. Wasn't afraid to have a dark ending. Yeah, but come on, if it wasn't for the first one, you wouldn't have any of the rest of the movies. Well, at least we can all agree the third one's always the worst. Which means that this is the third reboot, but they're also referencing the third X-Men movie that everybody agrees is a piece of shit. So yeah. it's just all referential like that. I just, I hated it. I hated every yeah. moment of it. So don't watch it. Uh, I did try to watch The Man the from Uncle. fans still watch Logan. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Logan's good. You tried to watch what? The Man from Uncle. The Guy Ritchie Oh, version. I like that one. That one was hilarious. I, f- I fucking turned it off. It was so boring. Really? So boring. But that's just me. Whatever. I didn't did like you see, it. it was did just, you see the scene where there was like a car chase, but it was framed in such a way? It wasn't even on screen. Like, that was really creative. Uh, what, uh, it, what part of was that in? Was that in um, East Berlin? It was in the middle of the movie. It. I saw it in the theaters. I can't chapter I, and verse it now. I don't remember. I tuned out. Basically, it just turned out to be like somebody trying to do uh, a comedic version of the spy who came in from the cold. Oh. And I just hated it. Uh, so that's two I hated this week. I thought it was enjoyable. Well, yeah, poor Guy Ritchie. I mean, yeah. that and uh, 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 the, the, the Camelot movie. He's, he's oh. just been... I yeah. think uh, Madonna... Well, I'm not a big fan of his Sherlock Holmes treatments either. Yeah. Those have been lame. Yeah, he's just... No. So, yeah, neither of those is good. But I did start watching the PBS documentary, The Vietnam War, by Ken Burns. And okay, it's really good. It's really depressing. It's not an uplifting documentary by any means. Because what? You know, it's, the, it's the Vietnam, the Vietnam War, War. Is I know, I know. What? Uh, but it's it's a fairly in depth. And the the standout thing about it is it's kind of an interesting production thing he does. Is that he got 
uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to do the the score for it. So if you've ever watched Social Network, uh, and I think they did the girl with the dragon tattoo, Social Network is is awesome. I put that one on pretty regularly when I want to just kind of uh, zone out and, and relax. It's just a really awesome soundtrack, but it's kind of the same flavor, really minimal. So it's really weird to see, you know, the stock footage of the napalm exploding through the jungle, and then you get like that sort of uh, that minimalist yeah. electro score. It's kind of cool. So basically, Ken Burns is like, I'm not using Credence. I refuse to well, use they, Credence. Well, they pepper it in, but you know, I liked that. That that if for once there was you know something educational about Vietnam, but they weren't playing, you know, Watchtower over and over again. There must be some kind of way out of here. Yeah, I mean they they peppered in. I mean it's the Forrest Gump bullshit because you kind of. I hear to... the doors one more time while watching that <laughs> really? that really? that that, <laughs> that Vietnamese colonel shoot that dude in the head. This is the end. Yeah, I mean, but here's the the deal with it though is I'm watching it and they're using a lot of stock footage and stuff you've you've seen before, but then a lot of other stuff you haven't. Uh, and it's really in depth. They go into the history and whatnot. But it struck me while watching it how many movies about Vietnam I have seen over the years and just are in my head. And so I would drift off and just make connections to those. So, I mean, they literally have helicopter flights over rice paddies. And all I can think of is the damn scene from Full Metal Jacket where the guy's like, Get some! Get some! Get some! Get some! Get some! And uh, and then all the stuff from Platoon. I mean, it just it's just insipid how much they've burrowed into my brain, and I can't detach from them. Uh, <laughs> Given how long it's been going on, you'd think we'd have more Afghanistan movies by now. Hey, oh Rambo no, three pretty much. No, uh, no, we we don't want to think about Afghanistan. That's the last <laughs> fucking thing anybody wants, <laughs> really, because really. then it'll remind them that we're never leaving. I think yeah. at some point someone's told Hollywood you're not allowed to make an Afghanistan movie because we're trying to forget this shit. Thank you very much. Yeah. Can't we at least have one about the Russians in Afghanistan back in the day, like, as a sly commentary? If you can do it without any help from the military, sure. If you want to see that movie, though, go see The Beast. That is, like, one of the best war movies ever, and it is exactly about the Russians in (sighs) Afghanistan. It is fucking brilliant. It's the second film of uh, 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 Kevin Reynolds. Is that his name? Yeah, the guy guy who made... Yeah, he did uh, uh, Fandango, and his next movie was The Beast. (laughs) The whole thing is a Russian (laughs) tank traveling through Afghanistan, and it's beautiful because not one Russian soldier speaks with a Russian accent. They're all Americans, and it really feels like a movie about Vietnam. Tank boy! That's the big scene when the commander goes nuts and just starts screaming. I said tank boy! I got something for you, Tank Boy! Go for Chico! Something for me, Come on! Come on! Come on! Come on! Come on! Come on! It's uh, what's his name? Jason Patrick. You tank boom. You tank boom. Yeah, I'll make your tank go boom. Oh, it's fucking it's great. I forgot about that one. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, I'll have to find that now. Uh, so yeah, that's my stuff. The only other deal was the watching the Vietnam. The, the Vietnam. I can't even say it now. God damn it. The Vietnam War. It made me uh, go back and revisit. Have you ever read the things they carried by Tim O'Brien? Nope. 
Nope. That is an awesome, awesome book. I would highly recommend it. But it's just uh, what seems like a loose string of stories connected to his experience in Vietnam. But then through the course of the book, you realize that half the shit is just stuff he made up to tell a story about Vietnam. <laughs> and then he starts addressing the fact that he's telling a story and making shit up about Vietnam in order to make it seem more real. And so the whole book becomes this deconstruction of what narrative does. <laughs> and so he's basically the more intense and uh true it seems the less likely that it's true that's like his big motif through the whole book it's fucking amazing so i would highly recommend it mm. really good that's my shit right on all right well this week i went and saw the great grandfathers of synth pop i saw depeche mode in concert this week oh huh. depeche mode we need that venture brothers clip now sweetie isn't that the guy from depeche mode oh no wait where Holy crap, he's with a girl. Oh, yeah, that guy is totally straight. I saw a whole thing about him on the VH1. But he's the guy from Depeche Mode. It's impossible. Straight. Come on, he's in Depeche Mode. I am not able to objectively view a Depeche Mode concert because uh, it's kind of wrapped up in my life and in my relationship. My, my wife and I, uh, we went and saw them in 87, and so it's meaningful to us. So, I mean, it's... It's a lot of fun for me. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> and I don't really care. How many members so are left? The- Dave Gahan and the other guy? Dave Gahan, Andy Fletcher, and Martin Elgore, they're all founding members. They're all still part of the band. But not the... There was a fourth. The original fourth member was uh, Vince Clark, who founded Depeche Mode and also Erasure and Yazoo. Vince Clark was replaced by Alan Wilder, who was sorely missed because he was so fucking good. Uh, his last album with the band was Songs and uh, Songs of Faith and Devotion. And he actually did a remix of a song from one of the more recent albums, and I listened to it, and I'm like, oh, so like this is what Depeche Mode today <laughs> should sound like. Andy Fletcher, okay, so he's more their business manager than their keyboardist, really. But he's been touring with them the entire time. He stands up on stage looking like craft work and jerking around, and I swear he doesn't play a damn note. <laughs> They've got two session players that are playing with them. They're way better musicians, like live musicians, than anybody in the band is. And their drummer is really, really good. Is, is it John Stamos? Uh, no. I remember on the Faith and Devotion <laughs> tour that Dave Gahan was saying that maybe we should have a fax machine on stage for him. <laughs> oh, yeah, for Andy Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andy Fletcher, he actually played a keyboard solo, and it was it was not stellar. Um, actually, Martin O'Gore played a guitar solo, and, and he's been playing guitar on stage for like 30 years, and he's never been a very good guitarist, but he plays the hell out of this one solo. I'm like, you've been practicing that one solo, just that one solo for 30 years. It's the only solo you can play, isn't it? <laughs> You're really selling it, Brian. Really? Yeah, but other than that, they're a great band. Well, okay, I'll say this. We did a show a little bit back about bands that need to hang it up, and I don't think Depeche Mode's one of them. They've got a new album. It's pretty good. They're... The first single, or not the first single, the first track uh, called Going Backward is definitely worth a listen. We can track it on satellites See it all in plain sight Watch men die in real time But we have nothing inside We feel nothing touring on a new album like the first half of the, the first hour of the show there was one song that dated back before 1990 and i was actually worried like 
But in the second half, they went back and they played a bunch of the hits and Play stuff. Play the hits. Yeah, it was a good show. <laughs> um, but they're acting like a modern band with, you know, back catalog and new music. <laughs> did they Did they do personal pizza? <laughs> oh, did I get my own personal pizza? Your own personal pizza. pizza. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't bother. We're just gonna put it in there as a clip. <laughs> From what? Dave Gahan looks more like John Waters now. He's kind of like the old gay dude with the pasty skin and the pencil mustache, and they keep putting the camera on him, which <laughs> they kind of shouldn't. But uh, but no, it was a good show. I had a good time. Uh recommended. So my other thing for fresh shit, I have another public service announcement. The more you know. Yeah, so public service announcement, no one should go see the new Flatliners. Well, who, but I did. What? Why the fuck would you do what? that? What is, did they make, they remade they Flatliners? Remade, yeah, with Ellen Page. Now's the point where you say it's all a joke. For Christ's sake. There's a new Flatliners with Ellen Page and Diego Luna from Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, I barely wanted to see the first one. Why would you do that? Well, okay, so I'm in Seattle, and I'm done with work. I did some work, but I'm done with work. I've got nothing to do because Eric has bailed on me, and I'm flying solo. So it's Eric's fault. It's all Eric's fault. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, fine. He was sick, but I, I want to go see a movie. Fine, so I can't go see Kingsman. Jolene wants to go see Kingsman. I can't see it because my buddy wants to see that with me here in Arizona. So I'm like, eh, Flatliners. Fuck it. Why not? I'll go see Flatliners. So let me ask let me ask you this: Was it uh, done like a Joel Schumacher movie, where the night scenes blue, where the day scenes orange? Um. So it actually was okay. So there's the scenes when they're in, in the death state, and in the death state, there's a whole lot of lens flares mostly. Um, ah, okay. Yeah, lens flares and tracking shots and Steadicam. It's pretty lo-fi. They do a lot of stuff with lighting. Um, they It plays kind of like a cut-rate Nightmare on Elm Street uh, crossed with Final Destination, I'd say. <laughs> oh, God. So the first thing they try to establish is that once you kill yourself, you have all sorts of ability and energy. Like, these people are literally, like, 30 minutes after having been revived from cardiac arrest, they're out partying, drinking, dancing, doing drugs, driving cars like like they're in a car chase. Um, it's it's like that movie uh, Limitless. It's like now they suddenly have more mental acuity and more memory and more ability. And and it's like anybody who's ever been in the hospital is, is really like, no, I don't want to move. And then it shifts gears and they try to make it into a horror film. Um, and it's a boring, dumb horror film. Like, they try to do jump scares. None of them land. They try to do mood. It, <laughs> none of it. There's nothing in this movie that couldn't just be done on television. But the first one wasn't <laughs> even that good. I mean, it's no. not like it's not like you know what that Flatliners was almost great. But what it really needed was Diego Luna. It's not like there was something somebody really wanted out of that. <laughs> well, I don't see why it, remake it. It strikes me as like a Hollow Man kind of situation. It's like, we really want to remake The Invisible Man with Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth Shue. Uh, I think that'll work. That's what it struck me as. <laughs> you know, I had hope that with modern tech they could do something trippy and interesting, but this is just flat and boring. I'm, I'm sure that there's uh, scarier, sexier, and gorier stuff on the Sci-Fi channel on any given night. <laughs> Fuck this yeah. movie. Uh, it flatlined, is what you're saying. 
yes, thank you. Okay. Uh, that's awful. Um, <laughs> all right, so that's going to be it for the fresh shit this week. Okay, so for our topic for the week, um, when we first started the podcast a while back, I made lists, and I thought one of the subjects we'd do, like, hey, what were some some years that had really good like sets of summer movies and 1984 was was way up on the top of that list and and so i'm like hey let's do a show about the the summer movies of 1984 and then when you actually look it up you're like holy shit 84 <laughs> is like chock-a-block full of yeah. movies um so i want to try a structure we used in the recent music episode where each of us comes up with like a list of uh also rans and then we each focus on a single movie so uh i'd say let's give that a shot we can try it yeah so eric let's go with you what's on your list um i mean mine was pretty pedestrian because frankly i stuck to movies i actually saw then because there's there's movies i've seen since and found out they were in 84 but i'm trying to put myself into the mind of a 13 year old again oh good please do I'm I'm good at that with this podcast with, with you know <laughs> regressing. Yeah, I I had to kind of approached it the same way. I was looking at the list cuz uh according to Box Office Mojo, uh there was a total of 168 studio films released that year. And right. it's pretty Im- impressive how many don't even register as things I recognize. So then I started looking like you. I'm like, "Well, which ones did I actually see when I was 13?" And uh then the list winnowed down even further. But there's a lot. I mean, I don't know about you, but I saw a ton of this shit at the time. I counted them up, and I saw I saw one-third uh, at this stage. I've seen one-third of all the movies released in 1984. But which ones I saw then, that's a harder nut to crack, frankly. Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's get back to Eric's list. Yeah. What were some movies on your list? Uh, well, there was Police Academy. That was, like, before Yay. there were tons of sequels to sort of denigrate the name of Police Academy. That first Police Academy was funny. I would agree. I agree. Homophobia is hilarious in the 80s. No, Sound Effects Guy is hilarious. And <laughs> Oh, well, Sound Effects Guy is the shit, yeah. Steve Gutenberg not knowing that he's the star of the movie is hilarious. You know, it's like after that it was like, "Oh, I'm I'm now Steve Gutenberg." Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to Gutenberg this thing up. Like he no. Got, yeah, he's got that you're, fucking you're, smirk. You're basically just in a part that they couldn't sell Bill Murray on and you're doing a passable job. Yeah. It was like meatballs basically. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Or stripes. Mm-hmm. More like stripes. Mm-hmm. But uh It is a quintessential 80s screwball comedy, right? Uh, Bachelor Party. Loved Bachelor Party. I didn't see it in the theater, of course, but once it was on cable, I watched it. And not only did I get to see boobies, but uh, it was funny. There's a part in there where the buddy, I can't remember, not the one from TJ Hooker, but the other buddy, they're all drunk. They're all getting fucked up. There's, you know, all sorts of people everywhere. This guy... Oh, two women are sitting on a couch and one of them's got like a bowl of potato chips in her lap and this drunken asshole like comes up to them and just slams his face into the potato chips, pulls his face up, laughing hysterically, takes a drink, a pull of the beer, and then sprays it in the other girl's face as he falls backwards. It is so funny. (laughs) 
It's like it's like that that one scene locked me up for five minutes the way I do, and uh, I just couldn't stop. I to this day I picture that, and I'm like, that is the, one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen. I will find it and put it on the site. Yeah, it'll, it'll sound just like what? <laughs> yeah, but right. You can it won't work it. on the podcast, but I'll put it. Fuck it. I'll find. I'll. I finally have a reason to use that uh, uh, that website of ours. He'll never do <laughs> well, it. Well, the signature thing from uh, the signature thing from Bachelor Party for me was early in the movie when you see Tom Hanks. Uh, I think he's in the kitchen and he's making something, and then he just says, "I want some wine." Would be Kino. Want some wine? He's looking for some wine. That one makes me laugh every time. I don't know why. <laughs> and '84 was really Tom Hanks's breakout year in film, right? It was that was Bachelor Party and Splash. And Splash, too, yeah. yeah. So good for which him. was inferior. I did not care for Splash. No. Yeah, because Splash only almost had yeah. boobies. Okay, so uh, what else was on your list, Eric? Uh, well, Star Trek Three, of course. Oh, okay. Uh, I I don't I I mean Star Trek Three has not aged well, but I remember it being v- it working very well when I saw it. You Klingon bastards! You killed my son. <laughs> Klingon bastards! You killed my son. <laughs> yes. You Klingon bastards! And Christopher Lloyd really was one of the best Klingons ever put to film. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first actor playing a Klingon to learn the language when they when he came in, he was like, "If there's a language, I'm gonna fucking know it." And I find that oh, God. insane. I was not going to say anything good. That's crazy. Well, that's very Klingon. That's very, very Jim Ignatowski, who you may remember from Taxi. Anyway, uh, yeah, so there's those those obvious ones. And as you guys go through your lists, I'm going to go, oh, ooh, oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that too. Well, it wasn't uh, James, James B. Sicking was in it too, the guy from Hill Street Blues, right? He was the, the captain of the Excelsior? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's the one I always gets it. And- Jose Ferrer's son Miguel was the uh, oh right uh, right the the con officer, but my pick is I'm sorry to say it's a split. I'll pick one because one of them was a TV movie. Threads. Threads was a BBC uh, uh, a film that was a realistic depiction of what would happen if there was a nuclear war, and it was it was all acted out, but it 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 contained all the fa- known facts about what would happen in a nuclear war. And it goes from the day of the strike to the months, the years. It actually ends 20 years after the first exchange when society is just basically a lot of uh, inbred dumb people who are, you know, struggling to survive. And and there's this crypto-fascist, you know, state that grows up in its wake. It's like... Everything that happens after is almost as horrifying as the day the bombs fell. And it is so great. As somebody who loves disaster movies, I cannot get enough of threads. Uh, they made the day after. Well, the day after had come out like a year or two before. No, it came after. Oh, yeah, no. Was... We were like in elementary school for the day after. Really? I was sure threads came out first. Yeah, it was like, eight, it was like 83. Yeah, no, we were in like eighth yeah. grade for... Um... 84. The day after didn't have the same level of realism. It may have had the drama, but there's all sorts of shit with the bombs going off like way too close to traffic and, you know, people not getting wiped away. They even say at the end of the day after that a lot of the destruction was minimized for dramatic purposes in a real nuclear war. It would be worse. Threads basically says, no, we're going to go with worse. And it is 
fucking great. Okay, <laughs> so I need to, this is like one of my pet things, and that is that we do not scare the younger generations about nuclear weapons the <laughs> way we should. Like, our generation and the boomers, it was like, okay, 30 minutes and you are dust. You are dead. You are fucked. Now everybody <laughs> drill. Go down to the basement. <laughs> and cover. Yeah, stop, no. drop, and roll. Stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> we could have a whole show, though, on on the efficacy of fear. I mean, we've we've sort of been pushing fear for for years after the the Cold War, Republicans were trying to find a way to make us nervous, and then nine eleven happened, and they just kept pointing at that. And so now it's like every time we try and get the youth scared of something they should be scared of, they're numb to it because they've been scared about everything. But seriously, people, nukes are not good. Yeah, no. But that leads into my actual choice for the best film of 1984 for Eric Reed. Red Dawn. <laughs> I knew it. Red I knew Dawn it. is fucking awesome. Forget about that remake. That remake was so misguided. I won't I won't even bother. We'll do another show on remakes and I'll talk about what's wrong with Red Dawn, but the real original oh, Red we Dawn. Should. The original Red <laughs> Dawn was an invasion of the United States and they 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 spell it out that uh, there's already been revolutions in Nicaragua that Cubans have helped in a revolution in Mexico. So it is viable that the the Soviet Union invades us coming up from the south. And this group of high school kids in the middle of really nowhere put together essentially a force of contras against you know the invading Soviets. And the whole thing was basically to show that what's going on in Nicaragua with the youths fighting against the Soviet Union, well, let's let's make it personal and make them Americans and you'll see we need to fight that red menace yeah 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 fine it's cool wait it was about Nicaragua no uh, I didn't realize that not directly but it was a metaphor we were it was basically to say we are we should be helping these freedom fighters in uh, Central America because it could be us next I can't believe you haven't seen this Brian I have not seen Red Dawn. I have managed to avoid Red Dawn. It's just one of those things. Good Lord. Charlie Sheen's first film. The Sways. Uh, the Sways. Got The Sways. Got C. Thomas This Howell. is the first PG-13 film yeah. ever. Yes. The, the first one. And I saw mm-hmm. the shit out of it, too. I think I saw it two or three times in the theater. Powers Booth. Uh, Harry yeah. Dean Stanton. And uh, uh, Leah, uh, Leah Thompson. Uh, Leah Thompson and that what's her name from 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 Jennifer Grey. Dirty Dancing Jennifer Grey, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's Chuck a Block. Oh, oh, and Superfly. Superfly is the uh, commanding officer of the Cuban forces. What? Yep, that is that, that guy is Superfly. No, now I gotta go back yes. and watch it. That- Get your ass on Wikipedia and look that up. He is Superfly. <laughs> I didn't recognize him without the hair and the coke on his nose. Yeah, Man, that's funny. It's a it's 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 just an awesome movie, and it's it goes month to month. That's the other thing is it's got a great sense of pace. This is where we are, you know, in September when these it just happened, and these kids are just trying to figure out how to stay alive. This is what happens in October. This is what drives them to their first strike in November. Yeah. This is them surviving the cold in December. It's it is so beautifully structured. Um, uh, it's based on a screenplay called uh, Ten Soldiers that was written again by Kevin uh, Reynolds. 
And then John Milius picked it up. And John Milius is sort of this <laughs> insane nutburger, militarist, right-wing movie guy. He is the uh, um, inspiration for Walter in The Big Lebowski. He did the original draft of Apocalypse Now. Conan, he's the like Barbarian. Just, yeah, he's a comical idiot of a right-wing, gun-loving nutjob. And he got a hold of this screenplay that I'd love to read because I bet it's a lot less political. And he made this film that is, I mean, whatever you say about the politics, it's its like one of the best action films, certainly of the 80s. Yeah. I think, I think every Rambo film wanted to be this. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons I avoided it. it just It seemed super Reagan-y in a really Reagan-y yeah. year. Wolverines! That's all you need to know. It was more like, no, those kids are supposed to be roughly my age, and they are kicking ass. Yeah. That's what I loved about it. I, I saw it a couple times. I remember I'd seen it the first time, and I was kind of jazzed because it was the first PG-13, as we mentioned. And so you kind of felt like you were getting something a little extra. It's like yeah. it's not quite R, but it's definitely not PG. I think I saw it because I knew that uh, the the Soviet embassy was angry about the film. And so I was like, well, then it must be good. <laughs> Shit, exactly. this isn't like some cartoon. This is something that's pissing them off. Yeah. And I was right. I was well rewarded for my time. Eh, which doesn't make sense because they, they basically make the Cubans the, the main invading force for that particular portion of the country. And then the Russians But it makes sense. In. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's not like in the sequel where it's China and then China's turned into North Korea because China didn't care for that. So they had to yeah. go in and digitally alter every flag. So it was a Korean flag. And it's like, even if the Koreans had the manpower and the machinery to invade the United States, how the fuck are they supposed to get across the Pacific Ocean with nobody noticing? I don't know. <laughs> they, they parachute in. They parachute in? <laughs> From what? From where? From airplanes. Uh, that took off from where? I don't know. I suck at risks, so don't ask me about military strategy. I suck so at So the risk. the idea that the Cubans are leading the force like makes sense. But they're also <laughs> Cubans with Russians. It's you know Yeah. It's it the thing is it the scenario was was uh defendable, you know. Yeah. The Korea thing, not quite so much. Well that's the thing about like military stuff in the eighties. I mean technologically we're just in a different place right like there was an instantaneous lookup of information uh, communications were much slower unless I guess, I guess the governments and the super rich had fast stuff but for most people things were just much slower and uh, you know there was there wasn't the ubiquitous surveillance everywhere and I, I think it made for more interesting spy craft yeah like I don't know how you do modern stuff well I remember thinking once cell phones showed up that uh, spy movies are fucked. I remember thinking that. Yeah. It's like, how, how are you gonna how are you gonna have the person run racing home to get to the phone? How are you gonna hide stuff? It's like the fact that you can track people with a cell phone is now just a lazy screenwriter reality. Yeah, although I wonder if traditional spycraft would be more effective nowadays. Like. People would be looking for electronic surveillance and they wouldn't pay attention to microfiche. <laughs> well, it's interesting to bring that up because on, uh, on, on the Sunday morning show on CBS just this last weekend, they did a, I think it was this weekend, recently, they did an interview with John Le Carre because uh, his last book is coming out and uh, he's the 
the big spy novelist. Yeah, Smiley's People, know. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And thank you for pronouncing his name correctly hey. because I've I've heard John LeCar. John LeCar. Times. That yeah. John LeCar guy. Room. But he was talking about how the espionage community is basically going back to paper trails and that sort of thing because it's harder to hack and hijack, etc. So it's mm-hmm. sort of becoming forced into this lo-fi package now. It was a very interesting take on the whole thing, considering all this technology that's floating around now. So I can see, yeah, uh, how that would happen. Sweet. All right. Anything else about Red Dawn? Uh, see it. It's great. Don't bother with the remake. See it. It's great. Don't bother with the remake. See it. It's great. Don't bother with the remake. All right. So, Chris, yes, let's sir. talk about your list. Yes. Uh, let's see. I, yeah, looking at the list, it was a really weird thing. It was, I, 84 was sort of the, the year that everything sort of gelled for me in film. Yep. I think it might have just been because it was sort of my early teens, so I had a little bit more freedom and I could ride my bike to the Cineplex uh, unaccompanied and I could just watch more things. Because uh, I was looking at the list, out of the top 10, I only have not seen Footloose. Uh, but all the rest I have seen. I have not seen Footloose either. I've also managed to avoid it. I'm sorry, you've seen it since 1984, or no. you saw them in 1984? Okay. Uh, I've not seen Footloose. That's the only one of the top ten here that I've still never seen. I mean, I feel like I've seen Footloose, but I haven't. I had to suffer through Footloose at one point because I had a sister. Yeah, sucks for you. When I say it blows, I speak from experience. Well, there's a lot of formative movies here. Uh, I would just want to note, just as a sidebar, uh, Repo Man, which we talked about recently, uh, is the third worst grossing movie of the year. So just to uh, put that into perspective, but it's an amazing movie. Though it was also buried. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where the studio head took over for another studio head, and so he dumps the slate of the guy before him because he doesn't want the guy before him looking too good. Yeah. Well, it's just, it was weird to see there's a bunch of movies on on the list that... uh, didn't really make a splash at the time, but got a second life through video and are now sort of cultural icons. But then you've got stuff like Streets of Fire, which was all over MTV, but just didn't make <laughs> any money whatsoever. Because uh, it was silly. Yeah, it's, that's Walter Hill, who's sort of in the millius camp for the action movies. But Streets of Fire is just like a, like a musical version of an action movie. It's just fucking horrible. Uh, I know uh, it's some, relentlessly negative, yeah, Streets of Fire. I, I know some people like it, but Jesus, it's so hard to get through. Um, <laughs> but that, so Footloose and that were all over MTV that summer. And then also Purple Rain, which I have to admit, I've still never seen all the way through because uh, it's just not any good. But the soundtrack is yeah. awesome. So I think that will be in our show about soundtracks that save bad movies. Yeah. So, uh, so those are sort of honorable mentions because uh, there's a bunch of stuff in there. Uh, Romance in the Stone is another one that I want to mention because I did watch that a few times and that was the big break for Robert Zemeckis because nobody really saw used cars and then that came out and that was his big blockbuster and then we all know he went on to do Back to the Future uh, the following year yeah, yeah. like he must have been pretty damn busy well you know he's got Spielberg in his corner so nothing wrong with that two of Eric's picks are in the top 10 as well Star Trek 3 was at number 9 and Police Academy came in at 6 and that was surprising to me I didn't realize it had done that big of a top 10 movie Police Academy you say it came Mm -hmm. in at number 6 yeah that's Uh, why they made so many dopey sequels and yeah they did one every year for like 5 years 
And then and they were just all bad. I remember working at a video store and a woman came in looking for Police Academy 6. And <laughs> I went to the wall and all the Police Academy movies are there. I'm like, well, we have Police Academy 5. And she says, well, that's not the same thing. And I said, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> uh, we've all been there, sir. We've all been there. Yep. Um, Karate Kids in there, too. I saw that a bunch that summer, but it's not really anything I can recommend now. It's just uh rocky with a kid um but the the top picks for me uh, indiana jones and the temple of doom is up there i saw the shit out of that uh oh yeah the summer Uh, i still like it but it's uneven tonally and just pacing wise i remember not liking it i remember watching it and going i'm that the first one was fun and this one is sort of a slog as a kid i'm thinking well, it's. I think you can see it on the screen. I think Lucas was going through a divorce, and so was Steven Spielberg, and so they just pushed it as far as they could. Yeah. Uh, and it, as Brian mentioned, it's one of the movies that sort of spurred the PG-13 because it's just. I mean, the guy gets his heart ripped out uh, while it's still beating. And set on fire. Yeah, there's just a whole bunch of stuff in there that's really dark. But as a, as a 13 watching it, I didn't really think it was that extreme. Frankly, yeah. it didn't freak me out. I just thought, hey, yeah, it's that's just a not fun what- adventure. That's not what did it. I, I didn't care about that. I love violence, Jesus. But I, I, I just remember thinking, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not caring. You yeah. know, he's... So, I think that has to do with the sidekicks. Well, I like, like, I like short, short round. round. No, short round is annoying. And Willie is You're worse. fucking annoying. What do you think about that? Your face is yeah. annoying. <laughs> anyway. Oh, hold on, lady. We're gonna go for a ride. Okie dokie, Dr. Joe's horn here, potato. Yeah, that. I mean, they did kick it off with a clear statement of intent, right? They did a big musical number of Anything Goes. Anything Goes. Yeah, and it's like... In Chinese, no less. With a big fight scene around a diamond in a bucket. And, I mean, it was insane. The only part of it that I liked was Indiana Jones uh, punching a random woman in the face. That was funny. At the club, Obi-Wan. That's the other thing. Oh, that's awful. But, uh, you know... you, you kind of have to just take that as it comes because the the people that wrote it, uh, what was his name, Willard Huck, and yeah, well, they were the same people that, that uh, eventually did the Howard the Duck movie. Howard the Duck. So oh. Howard the Duck. <laughs> you can kind of see the pedigree. Yeah. Uh, but Temple of Doom, I, I like some of the set pieces. It's kind of fun, but overall, it's really uneven, so it's it's hard to recommend. The well, bit with the spikes in the hat yeah. and the minecart are iconic. Yeah, yeah. Everything else is forgettable. But Last Crusade is so much better than that one, so... You know. None of them are on the level of Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, no. Oh, and That's I get mad because there are people in the world who actually think the title of that movie is Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the fuck it oh, is. Oh, tomfoolery. What tomfoolery is this? No. But you know what? Actually, you don't need to see any of those when you got Crystal Skulls. You know, oh, Crystal Skulls If I could punch you right way now, to go. I would. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you you're just nothing but a muckraker right now. That one, that one was great. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, what else was on your list, Chris? Uh, and I know you'll probably touch on this one later, but uh, Last Starfighter was another big one from that summer for me. Uh, I I watched that one a couple times. Uh, it was just so much fun. But it's literally it's like every other kid jesus messiah savior movie ever uh, <laughs> but with computer well, animation but yeah well yeah. yeah but let's let's talk about it uh, okay so first of all yeah it was the first movie 
where 100% of its effects yeah, were yeah. CG, and they don't they don't hold up. Well, everybody's got to start somewhere. I mean, shit. But it's uh, but it's Nick. I think it was Nick Castle did it, and he's the guy that uh, had worked with John Carpenter uh, on a bunch of stuff. So he's responsible for write, co-writing uh, Escape from New York, I think, and a, and a few other the, the Carpenter ones. Uh, so this was oh. his big thing. But yeah, the, the, what's, what makes it stand out is because it was one of the first ones to use a lot of the, the burgeoning CGI stuff. And for the time, it was really cutting edge. It was really cool to watch. Like it does. And that. the Music Man was in it. Yeah, Robert Preston. <laughs> you can't go wrong there. Uh, and then I think I touched on this earlier uh, in one of our shows, but the, the guy that plays this, the lizard sidekick, Greg, uh, Dan Hurley, was in was the, the, the chairman in RoboCop. He was also in uh, Halloween 3, the baddie in that one, from when we were talking about it. And so it's just got a lot of different stuff going on, uh, and it's really fun. I mean, it's just there's no no bones about it. It's just a fun, fluffy entertainment. But yeah. uh, this is a movie I think that they could they, reboot and do a decent go unless of Unless they try to do like the Tron reboot route, in which case don't bother. Don't do it. That Tron reboot was great. <laughs> yeah. I lo- Shut your mouth. That, that film was awesome. <laughs> it was. I love the dude in space, computer or whatever. All right. So was, was it, do you have a number one? Uh, Number one's coming, but I do want to give a mention to 16 Candles as well, because that is one I still watch to this day, uh, and I still enjoy. And I always forget that that came out in 84, but that's John Hughes sort of starting the whole teen thing that eventually got really stale. Um, But always enjoyable, that one. And a good soundtrack. But my favorite... And that is one of the goofier ones in the John Hughes catalog. Yeah, it's like he didn't really know what he was working with yet, and so he kind of just threw everything at it. Uh, and most of it works, some of it doesn't, but uh, it definitely better. But than he takes Club. it more seriously than he did with, uh, you know, weird science yeah. or yeah, any of the goofier ones. So good stuff on that one. But he sticks the landing right, like the end of that movie <laughs> with the car and the Thompson Twins song. It's like it's like peak John Hughes, right? Yeah, it's, you know, it's also, exactly John Hughes. Also, that film. Uh, and and same year, uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Yes, they both was- have. They both they both take advantage of the uh, romantic rape scene, yeah, where a true, girl has had is made love to by a guy, un- and after it's done, she goes, "Yeah, it was pretty good. Thank you for raping me." Oh, the eighties. <laughs> exactly. Tell me that isn't what happened. You tell me that's not what happened in both cases. No, I, wait a minute. Yeah, you're no, not my boyfriend. I can't tell you, you just that. you just played a gag on me with a mask and ate my pussy, <laughs> and it was good. Well, see, that's Re- exactly Revenge of the Nerds was uh, one of the first movies, R-rated movies that I snuck into as a kid. So I actually saw it that summer in the theater, and the place was packed. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I remember that we. My, my friends and I snuck in and had to like squeeze into the middle and all these adults are looking at us like, oh, look at them sneaking in, sneaky, sneaky. But I watched it again a couple of years ago to come on TV and I'm like, I haven't watched this in a while. And then it struck me how rapey it is. I'm like, I do mm-hmm. not remember it being this. No, all teen sex comedies are rapey. I mean, something as recent as American Pie, right? Like the whole plot of that movie was, oh, I'm going to have sex with this girl and set up a webcam and yeah. send a feed to all my buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. That's fucked up too. There's no question that it's fucked up, and yeah. that that uh, the American Pie movies were basically a callback to a simpler time when it was okay to rape women. 
Exactly. I mean, I think that's and, kind of where they were going. Yeah. And you could fuck pies. Anyway. So those those are some of my uh, my honorable mentions. But uh, I number one, I have to go with Ghostbusters. Uh, oh, that's, okay. That's reasonably trite because yeah. it's Ghostbusters. But uh, it makes me laugh every time I watch it, even though I've seen it a hundred times. Yeah. And it's peak Bill Murray. You can't really get much more Murray than that until you get to well, something like... Well, it's peak Harold Ramis, yeah. right? No. And it's peak yeah. Bill Moranis. Yeah. But it's what it's like the first time and the best time that every time Bill Murray walks into a room, he says the last thing you'd expect anyone to say, and it's always funny. Like when, when he walks in on uh, Sigourney Weaver... As Zool, it's, oh, what a lovely singing voice he must yeah, exactly. have. Exactly. Well, it's yeah. Like, but early on in the library, when they when they're asking the questions, the lady has has anyone in your family ever been diagnosed with schizophrenia? Blah blah blah. Uh, and then the guy starts questioning. He's like, "Back off, man! I'm a scientist." <laughs> you know, it's just so straightforward. But uh, there's two things though that always stand out to me. Well, three things because they had the the sense to cast William Atherton as the dick. Who's basically yeah. the dick in just about anything from the eighties? Uh, yep, and he does very well as the EPA guy. But there's the the funniest joke in the whole movie to me is Dan Aykroyd's line, and it's in the very beginning when they're going through the library, and he just goes, "Shh, listen, you smell something? Listen, <laughs> you smell something." And that one, I'm 13, looking at that, going, "Hey," and then it kind of starts to filter in. You're like, "Oh, I got gotcha. you." Uh, and then the other one, and I think I might have addressed this with both of you or one of you, uh, but it didn't strike me until just a couple of years ago watching it again. But Rick Moranis plays the Vince Klaatu, who's the, the key master yeah. when he gets turned in. And it struck me that Lewis, his uh, human ego counterpoint, uh, is constantly getting locked out of his own apartment. And I never put the two together. Uh, until a couple of years ago, and I fucking fell off the couch. I started laughing so hard. <laughs> it was like a 30-year stealth joke. 30-year stealth joke. Ghostbusters is like one of the perfect comedies. I It's a straight-up classic. I remember being floored by the trailer. I'm watching some other movie, and the trailer for that comes on, and I'm I'm watching that, and I'm just like, holy shit, what is yeah. that? This thing came on like a freight train. And uh, the fact that they were going to call it Ghost Smashers... Uh, originally, I thought, man, that just would not have worked. Eh, you uh, don't know that. Oh, I do. You know what? If they'd have called it Ghost Smashers and then you found out, you know what? They were going to call it Ghostbusters. You'd have gone, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> do you know that It's for got sure? a success bias. Yeah, it's called success bias. But where's Kong? We need Spencer, Tracy, and Kong. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> we're the Ghostbusters. Oh. <laughs> we're the Ghostbusters. I'm Spencer. He's Tracy. I'm Kong. There's the clip again. Uh, it's been stuck in my head all week. Like, I'd look at the... <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. I'd look at the list of movies for 84, and then suddenly Larry Storch would just jump in my you've head. You've been storched. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, the, uh, but the whole thing about Ghost vs. I mean, I had, I had that soundtrack that summer on cassette, and it came in the orange plastic instead of the regular black, and, uh, and I listened to that all summer. And then there was the whole trial with Ray Parker Jr. getting sued because he stole from Huey Lewis in the news. I want a new drug. It's like the baseline. Um, yeah. Uh, That's a pretty big 
But yeah. well, Huey Lewis in the news won. Uh, yeah, I guess. But whatever. It's still a fun movie. They should never have made sequels. I mean, I know it was inevitable. Like, fine, it made a lot of money, but Ghostbusters Two was just as bad as the modern oh, reboot. Like, yeah, it was terrible. I'm I'm with you on that one. Well, if you look at the, the the list of movies here, there's so many that ended up getting tainted by bad sequels. Beverly Hills Cop is one of them. Ghostbusters, um, Karate Kid, definitely. Police Academy, definitely. Uh, Romancing the Stone, they knocked theirs out the next year, and that was pretty fucking piss poor. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff on the list that just tanked when they came out with sequels because they just weren't any good. So it's a weird year because there aren't a lot of sequels, but there are a lot of movies that became sequels. And most sequels are awful just because they're they're cash plays. They're not. Yeah. There isn't a need for a sequel. The thing I'll say about Ghostbusters, and yeah, I didn't like Ghostbusters 2 either, but it's interesting that its sequel was one of the six films from 1989 that made over $100 million yeah. in you know, the most fabulous year for films, in my opinion. I, I, 1989, everyone worked, and everything was you know, a big deal. Yeah, and that was the second year on my list of summers. <laughs> it's like every, everyone had something out if they were working in 1989. True. I think we'll get to 89 eventually. Eventually. But yeah, so that's that's mine. Uh, Ghostbusters, who are you going to call? Uh, yeah, I guess the Ghostbusters. Well, <laughs> so, no, you know, if there's something strange in my neighborhood, I'm probably going to call the police first, actually. Yeah, but who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? Well, eventually, yeah, Ghostbusters. I guess eventually, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it stands to reason, because when, when you ask them about it, busting makes them feel good. So... <laughs> Of course, it's just, you know, it's it's just a nice thing to do. Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Back off, man. I'm a scientist. My favorite line is still, uh, Ray, when someone when asks someone you, if, asks you're you God, if you're a God, you say, you say yes. yes. Well, and then there's the one that they always want it, they always edit out when it's playing on regular TV and it's in the mayor's office when William Atherton's no, going on and on. I wanted to I wanted to use that clip as the William Atherton clip. Yeah. And uh, Ackroyd says, well, we were okay until Dickless over here decided to turn off the grid thing. And then the mayor says, is that true? And then and Murray's just like, yes, your honor, it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> and then he lunges at him. They always cut that one out, and I don't understand why. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. So, yeah, if you haven't seen Ghostbusters, you're probably not listening to this podcast. Yeah, you're, de- you're dead inside. <laughs> All right, so my list. Uh, a lot of the ones we've already touched on. Uh, I want to say this about The Last Starfighter. So 1984, I'm 13 years old. I'm spending a lot of my summers uh, up at the family cabin in Colorado. And it's a rustic cabin with, like, it didn't even really have plumbing. It had an outhouse. And I'm, I'm a kid. I'm bored. I'm bringing my TRS-80 Color Computer 2 up there, and I'm probably causing a fire hazard with all of the plugs and shit. Um, but I didn't have a lot to do, but I did have the comic of The Last Starfighter. And so I'm wondering if my affinity for The Last Starfighter is more for the comic than for the actual movie here. That's like me in, in Dune. I read the Dune comic way more than the, the saw the movie. Oh, I forgot to mention Dune. I love Dune. 
Dune was in 84 too, wasn't it? Yeah. And Siskel yeah. and Evert did not like it at all. That's a funny clip if you can find that on YouTube. Now, this is kind of amazing. Out of a couple hundred films that Roger and I each saw this year, we agree that the biggest disappointment of the year is Dune. This whole film looked ugly as if the lens were filthy. <laughs> they were pretty <laughs> merciless. They basically said it was just uh, brown and lifeless like the desert, I think yeah. is how they described it. Oh, so it's an Arizona movie. Yeah, exactly. So I think we need to say something about Amadeus, which won Best Picture in 1984. Ooh, rock me, Amadeus. Uh, yeah. It, it was a movie that had more notes than it needed. I don't understand. There are just as many notes, Majesty, as are required, <laughs> neither more nor less. He was alive in the, 17, in the 18th century, but he partied like it was 1999. <laughs> So, I don't know about you guys, but, like, when I was 13, I was just kind of at an age where I'm, like, I'm really projecting myself on all of these characters, right? So, you know, last Starfighter, I'm like, ooh, I could be good at arcade games and defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada or some shit. And, uh, you know, so I'm also, like heavy musical background and i'm watching amadeus and i'm like ooh, like i could be a composer guy so you you were comparing yourself to mozart is basically well at age 13 and i mean i'm comparing myself to tom holes who's being a big prat i'm like hey i'm a big prat i can i can fart while i play piano no problem i identified too much with salieri i watched that and said i'm gonna fail at life (laughs) was that f murray abraham Yep. That was his thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, another one, and I don't want to get too in-depth in this, because I feel like I'd be cheating. I didn't see this one in the theater at the time, but The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension came out in 1984, yes. and yes. that is the fucking movie. Remember, Brian, no matter where you go, there you are. I want to know, <laughs> is that the first usage of that? Like, does that phrase originate have, with Buckaroo it Banzai? Might, it might as well be, frankly. Who cares? Fine. For now on, it does. But, uh, it's, it's there. Yeah, John Lithgow is Emil Lazardo. Uh, grand. That always reminds me of when we saw Cliffhanger. <laughs> and at the big climax, when the the rope bridge collapses and they crash into the side of the cliff, and it's Lithgow and Stallone, and I think Eric was there and just said, <laughs> Curse you, Punzai! Curse you, Punzai! <laughs> <laughs> And there was like a collective question mark that went up over the heads of everyone else in the theater. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so Buckaroo Banzai is one of those movies that I think it's better the more times you see it. Like the first time you watch it, it's completely inscrutable. And after like maybe four views, you finally cotton to it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's 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 quite fun. All right, uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, it it needs to be mentioned. It's good. The Axel theme, Axel F, always a classic as well. Better than if uh, Sly Stallone had actually taken that job. Oh, yes. dear God, no. Agreed. It I'm not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> well, interesting, too, that uh, that both that and Gremlins have Judge Reinhold in them as well. So uh, a good year really? for Judge. Yeah, Judge Reinhold was kind of everywhere, He's wasn't he? He's in Gremlins? Yeah, he's yeah. in it, but yeah. No, he, was, it. he was the antagonistic guy at the bank uh, who gives Zach Gallagher a bunch of crap. Oh. So, um, I just want to mention, so Ghostbusters came out on the exact same day as Top Secret, which we're not going to talk about because we covered that in the Zucker Abraham Zucker episode a while back. But those were the same day. Yeah. And the only reason I saw Top Sucker was Top Secret is because uh, Ghostbusters was sold out. Oh, wow, so, really? Yeah. Okay. 
but also on the same day was my top pick movie, and that is Gremlins. Came out the same day as Ghostbusters. Yay! Fucking Joe Dante. <laughs> this is peak Joe Dante, isn't it? This is right after The Howling, right? That was probably the thing he made before this. He did the Twilight Zone movie right before this, so he did a segment of that. Still haven't seen it. Oh, uh, you should see it. It's, he did the segment that was based on the episode that had Billy Moomy in and about the little kid who, who could wish people away into the cornfield. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah, um, and it had a prototype gremlin in it at the end. Getting back to Joe Dante and Gremlins, I mean, man, oh man, did okay, um, I guess this is true of Ghostbusters too. There must have been a thing at the time of blending the scary and the silly, and not shying away from either of them. I mean, this movie doesn't hold back at all from the scary or the silly. Nope, because uh, it was a it was a spec script by Chris Columbus, I think, is what I read. Yeah, and uh, and it was he wrote it when he was at NYU Film School, and I guess at night in the shitty apartment he lived in, all of the mice and rats would scamper out and make a lot of creepy noise and that was sort of the uh, the inspiration for him to write this but he apparently went really super dark because he didn't expect anybody would buy it it was just a writing sample but Spielberg apparently liked it so the rest is history hmm. well if you look at it it's structured like a big dumb 50s monster movie right like no one takes the kids seriously, and the best scientist in town teaches at the school. Yeah. And the rules don't make sense. Uh, yeah, I don't I mean, want Okay, yeah, as far yeah. as the rules, I mean, even Joe Dante acknowledges that and, you know, makes fun of it in Gremlins 2. Which, and let's be fair, that's one of the best sequels ever made. In 1989. Oh, wait, no, that was 1990. Yeah. Sorry. That was 90. So, uh, yeah... Gremlins. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it. It's a movie where Phoebe Cates is in it, and she keeps her shirt on. And gives that crazy speech about fucking Santa Claus that just <laughs> always throws me <laughs> Which they also make fun of in Gremlins, crap. too. But it's so out of left field. But apparently uh, the studio wanted to cut it, and Spielberg wanted to cut it, because it just they didn't think it... Uh, it, they thought it was. Were, are you being too? Are you being too dark deliberately? Or are you making fun of being dark? And Joe Dante fought to keep it in. He basically said, "That's the whole movie, so it has to stay in here." And uh, and they said, "Okay." And then it became one of the signature moments. It just it, every time I see it, though, I'm like, "Oh God." <laughs> Does it make sense? What the story? What the, the the monologue? Yeah, I haven't seen it. What you've never seen Gremlins? What you have? No. Oh, what Jesus. Brian hasn't seen Red Dawn. You haven't seen Gremlins. I yeah. haven't seen Footloose. What the hell is going on? We suck at 1984. What? We, we are... Uh. Between the three ah. of us, we've seen, we haven't seen 30% of the top 10 movies of 1984. <laughs> yeah, because we weren't like... <laughs> we didn't have jobs. We didn't have money. We couldn't, you know... Yeah. Until it was on cable. Who cares? But yeah, no. Never saw the first Gremlins. Didn't care. Saw the second one. Loved it. But only because it was so meta. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I never really thought, you know, I caught like bits of Gremlins now and again on TV and I thought, that that's too straight. Brian can back me up on this one, but it's Joe Dante. So there's a lot of uh, sub references just oh, thrown yeah. in as like Easter eggs throughout the entire thing. And it's just, if you're watching very carefully, you can, you can pick up on them all. And it's almost like he's just going, hey, all you people that get these references, you're going to like this little tidbit right here. But it's, they're all throwaway. And, and they don't really make a big deal of it. But then if you, when you watch it and you catch it, you're like, oh! And there's always something every time. Yeah, like the movie that Gizmo watches to learn how to drive the car. And also Robbie the Robot shows yeah. up in this movie. Uh, and then the, 
Yeah, just all that, all that stuff. Are we talking about the first one or the second one? The first one. The first one. Okay, because the second one has one of my favorite lines of all time, which is "Fire the untamed element." <laughs> exactly. This building yeah. is, is on now fire. fire. Yeah. Leave the building. Yeah. yeah. Fire the untamed element, oldest of man's mysteries, giver of warmth, destroyer of forests. Right now, this building is on fire. What? Yes, the building is on fire. Leave the building. Enact the age-old drama of self-preservation. But the other thing I noticed too, Brian, when I was watching it uh, last week, because uh, it's on Netflix for anybody that still wants to catch it. Eric, uh, you got to watch Gremlins. But they, mm. but they do a bunch of stuff uh, in Kingston Falls, which is the the fake town. Yeah, with Rockin' Ricky Rialto and the Indiana Jones billboard. Yeah, and it's all snow drenched and whatnot because it's Christmas time, and there's a lot of stuff going down Main Street. And uh-huh. it's one of those typical obvious backlots where the street just ends at a building and then there's a turn. Oh, it's yeah, a it's like a square. Yeah, and it's a theater. And I'm watching it this time going, that looks really freaking familiar and not because I've seen Gremlins before. And then it struck me, and I and I, I researched this afterwards, and it's true. that It's the same backlot that they shot Back to the Future on. So that's yep. the, the exact same street that they run the DeLorean <laughs> down. And I, I lost my mind a little bit there because I thought it was having a stroke. It was a very weird thing. Yeah, and there's like the movie theater where the marquee says yeah. A Boy's Life, and that was the working title, and then uh, changes yeah, later to yeah. Watch the Skies. All very, very meta, very weird. There is a lot of meta stuff going on in Gremlins. It's <laughs> one of my favorite movies of all time. It was my favorite movie for a while after I saw it. I'll watch it if you watch Red Dawn. Ooh. You know, I might take you up on that one, Eric. All right. Well, here's the thing is, uh, I don't have any stake in that, but eventually I'm going to have to watch Footloose so we can do yeah, our Kenny Loggins. You have to watch so Footloose. Our, our show. To, yeah, you have to do Walkman Part 3. <laughs> yeah. And he's got two songs in that, I might add, just as a sidebar. So, shit. Yeah. So, well, yeah. let's hear it for the all, boy. We're all fucked, basically. Shut up. All right. Well, we just barely scratched the surface. I mean, 84, besides just movies, 84 was just a great time to be alive. Yeah. Reagan was reelected. The Soviet Union was riding high. Uh, I, I, the war in Afghanistan with the Russia. Yeah, it was... It was tits that year. <laughs> did we did we give a shout out to uh, this is Spinal Tap? Uh, no, wasn't that eighty three? Yeah, no Spinal yeah Spinal Tap came out uh, in in March of that year. Oh, uh, I thought it was eighty three. And it it ranks as one hundred seventeen out of one hundred sixty eight. So it's definitely one that made a splash on video, but that one surprised me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know so, that uh, what's what's that 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 other Christopher Guest movie? Um, waiting Guffman. For, waiting for Guffman. That was like ninety six. The poster for Waiting for Guffman says from the lead guitarist of Spinal Tap. <laughs> well, and, but the other thing too, uh, and I just want to touch on this before we go because uh, I don't know about you two, but I actually saw Runaway again this week. Oh, with Tom Selleck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I just. Uh, I'm just going to tell people out there this is my public service announcement uh, don't watch it because it's fucking horrible but basically yeah. Yeah. The, the entire thing is uh, uh, about a cop chasing an inventor who's created the world's slowest bullet that's basically what <laughs> Runaway is about the whole thing was basically to have a special <laughs> effect where you're seeing the bullet 
from the bullet's perspective. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, what can we like, do with a steady cam? Unfortunately, that means you have to slow it down yeah. pretty far. Conceptually, it was a good idea. In the future, everything is robots, everything is technological, so we need special yeah. cops to just handle the robots. Yeah. You could put the police squad siren like on the shots of the bullet going down <laughs> yeah, yeah, the hall. Yeah. Unfortunately, the whole thing was shot with like the production value of T.J. Hooker. Yeah. Well, and it's well, it was Michael Crichton wrote and directed it, which I'd forgot. So yeah, he's, oh wow, he's got yeah. a lousy track record. Yeah, but uh, the the bullet shots though, it all everything looks like the the stuff from Evil Dead when the soul is tracking after Ash in the cabin. It's kind of yeah, that but that was much better. Yeah, exactly. There's the bullet shots, and there's the robot spiders coming to get <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons is the bad guy, constantly yelling, Ramsey! I'm coming to get you, Ramsey! Oh, Ramsey. <laughs> that wasn't very nice, yeah. Ramsey. I want my girl, Ramsey. You can't run away, Ramsey. Don't worry, Ramsey. The spiders won't hurt you. Ever see him kill somebody, Ramsey? It's really impressive. They're loaded with acid. So don't watch it, but I just wanted to mention that, because it was, uh, it was fresh in my mind. So thank you. Yay. Yeah. God. <laughs> Run away. Uh, well, all right, just everybody. Don't, just don't don't play Bon Jovi. Don't play Bon Jovi. Oh, no. No, we're not playing Bon Jovi. Okay, I'm not falling for that trick again. She's a little runaway. Yeah, no, we're not going out like that. Here's how we're going out. That's so much better. 1984. It was a great year to be alive. It was a fantastic year for movies. We're going to do some other years in the future where we talk about other summer movie seasons that are worth uh, getting into. Until then, don't forget, share us on your social feed. Reach out to us. We can find us on Twitter at MagHuge, Facebook.com slash MagnificentlyHuge, or you can email MagnificentlyHuge at gmail.com. Until next time, we'll see you in the past.